Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know that as everyone is in these strange times, we're recording our episodes remotely and in some tricky conditions. With this week's episode, there's some there's a few audio issues. It's a little loud at a few points. It's a little soft. I did my best to mix it so that it it doesn't uh, mess your ears up. I, I think it'll be just fine. But I wanted to just we beg a little patience as many podcasts are dealing with uh, technical snafus related to our ongoing crisis. Um, also, we lost a little bit of audio due to a issue on my end. So uh, the intro for Nicole and Sean is just, you're just going to hear George and I, our, our usual back and forth is, is not going to be there. But um, this is a fun episode. It was a gr- like a real blast to record. And we're, we had a lot of fun having Nicole and Sean with us um, for the past month talking about Christopher Nolan. Um, yeah, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye. I'm George Vergopoulos. It doesn't matter who we are. <laughs> what matters is our podcast. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Nicole Solomon. <gasps> I'm Sean Sotero. What? And, and this, this is... Oovra! Busters. Busters. gonna be a four-hour episode um yeah we're talking about dark knight rises we're completing our um christopher nolan arc which i'm so sad to be doing because i'm a christopher nolan apologist um i'm such an apologist let me introduce nicole nicole solomon is a filmmaker educator and co-founder of media services company four mile circus her short film small talk which I'm in. Screened at festivals around the world, winning numerous honors, including the Golden Klee Award from the Ars Electronica Festival on Sex and Tech, the first film to do so. Her anti-fascist vampire allegory, It's Normal, recently wrapped up its festival run and is now available exclusively through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash four mile circus for information and to see more of her stuff. And we'll be sure to include that link in the show notes. George, would you like to introduce Sean? Let's do it. Yeah, so Sean is an associate editor at Complex and the writer and reporter of Infamous, the Kajik 6 9 story, Complex, and Spotify podcast about the controversial rapper. He's also the former editor-in-chief of Rap Genius and the creator and host of The Cypher, critically acclaimed hip-hop podcast. He's written about music and culture for Forbes, The Atlantic Vibe, The Source, GQ, Esquire, Sondheim Review, and more. 
So um, welcome. Thanks for coming, uh, guys. All right, um, George, you want to summarize this 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 movie that I like a lot more than I thought I did? This monstrosity, yeah, I'll go. Uh, oh, I'll try. Off. Jesus, I was trying to write the recap, and I was like, "Holy shit, where does one begin?" But anyway. So, The Dark Knight Rises begins eight years after the events of the previous film. Bruce Wayne is in retirement as Batman and kind of as Bruce Wayne. Um, and the Dent Act has been brought to fruition. It's a new set of laws that have been passed that have put thousands of people behind bars. Uh, we're introduced to Bane, who kidnaps a nuclear scientist by the name of Pavel. Uh, we're also introduced to Selena Kyle, uh, who robs Wayne's uh, fingerprints to uh, later on set up Bruce Wayne. Uh, we're also introduced to John Blake, who is a Gotham PD officer. Uh, we're also introduced to Miranda Tate, who is Wayne Enterprise's CEO. Sh- sh- shut the fuck up, Liam. Let me get through this. It's going to take forever. Bane uh, eventually comes to Gotham. He hides in the sewers, and he begins to sow chaos. Eventually, uh, Batman comes out of retirement. He confronts Bane and his gang, who uh, first fuck with the stock exchange. We should probably talk about that. Um, Bane beats the shit out of Batman. He breaks him and he sends him into, yes, that prison hole that, that Sean mentioned. Um, and it's the the prison hole where Bane was supposedly raised in. Shut the fuck up, Liam. With Batman gone, Bane conducts a kind of fake populist uprising, um, while at the same time setting up a nuclear bomb beneath the city to blow up in a few months. Uh, Bruce Wayne eventually rehabs. In fact, about 50% of this movie is Bruce Wayne rehabbing. Um, he, and some sit-ups too uh so bruce wayne escapes the prison he goes back to gotham and with the help of gordon uh commissioner gordon uh kyle and blake he takes back the city they kill bane and they find out that tate is actually Razal ghoul's daughter talia what the fuck um and yeah batman seemingly dies saving the city from the nuclear bomb and the film ends with blake aka who we find out his name is robin uh finding the bat cave and and beginning what it, we assume is his career as the titular Robin. <laughs> the end. Nailed okay. it. Nailed it. Um, okay, so guys, let's talk a little bit about the movie. How was how was watching it? Uh, how did it play for you this time, Nicole and Sean? Um, it, I mean, it's it's overloaded and bloated and kind of a mess, but I also enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than Batman begins. I don't think it's as good as the uh, dark Knight, but you know, it's got, it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it. I, I enjoyed the first act a lot before it did, you know, when it hadn't yet betrayed the promise of some of what it sets up, maybe Sean, you. Yeah. So uh, Batman three down in a hole. Uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, I was angry at some of it, uh, but as some aspects of it, I really, really liked a lot. You know, we'll we'll get into this more obviously, but I liked some when it got to Liam, your buddy Gordon. I liked that it uh, it finally was critical of him for the basically the first time in the entire series. Right. And also, um, just to circle back, uh, since we uh, viewers or listeners rather at home don't know this, but we had some technical difficulties. But um, as we uh, said on the tape that is now lost uh, to the ages, uh, we originally saw this film on its opening weekend at the Sheepshead Bay multiplex here in Brooklyn on a fake IMAX screen. And it was kind of disappointing. It was I was like, that's not terrible. 
when people were like, oh my God, it sucks so bad. I was like, eh, it's not. I was one of those people that felt that way despite seeing it four times in the movie theater and going, doing the 12 hour Batman trilogy experience. I mean, I guess that was our mistake. Maybe if we'd just gone back to see it three more times, we too could hate it. I really, as I said, I really wanted that Phantom Menace. I had that Phantom Menace experience where I was like, no, it was good. It was totally good. It was great. It was great. Nose, nosebleed, nosebleed, nosebleed. George, I believe you didn't see this movie in the theater because you're a fucking Philistine. Is I'm a poser. I'm, I'm a Philistine. Correct. Yeah. I was uh, at home. Uh, I was reading. I was actually finishing up. I remember distinctly that summer I was finishing uh, all of Proust, of course, in the original oh French, French. <laughs> not in not translation. translation. So I didn't actually have time to go see your Batman. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's funny you say time, George, because I'm sure, as you know, uh, Remembrance of Things Past is not a good translation of the title. It, it's of In course. Search of Lost Time. Yeah. Fuck, fucking Moncrief, he dropped the ball. Moncrief oh did call Remembrance oh of Things Past, Oh my God, past, we're right? talking yeah. about a movie about a fascist that beats people up. Can we please <laughs> just get don't through you, it? Don't you say that about Marcel Proust. He was actually a very <laughs> kind and gentle soul. Um, so I actually remember seeing this for the first time maybe four or five years ago. So a couple of years after it was released and being severely disappointed in it. I remember distinctly not liking it. This time around, however, I was like, oh, I actually kind of enjoyed this. I enjoyed it as a piece of entertainment. I had fun watching it. However, I do think, as Nicole said, it is just over bloated and it's overburdened with stuff. And it is so fucking all over the place. Um there's about four or five different films here. And we can obviously talk about like what it's works. It's a season it of TV. Yeah. A season of TV. Exactly. Um, and for me, it's the weakest one of the trilogy. I believe you all think um, it's probably stronger than the first one. I will say this. It's definitely not as racist as that first one for sure. <laughs> That's exactly what was going through my mind as you were saying that. But its politics are fucked up in a totally different way. So we can maybe also talk about that. If if I may interject um, here, I think that one of the things that's that that makes it for me, I think it's a mess. I think rewatching it now, I like it a lot more. I, I really, I think I had a massive reevaluation when we watched Batman Begins, and I was like, this movie, I still like it, but like, the editing in this movie sucks. Uh, the writing is really bad. Um, yeah, it just didn't, it didn't click for me. And I, 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 Rises clicked for me this time. I think, I think I just being away from it for a long period of time and watching it, it was actually, I kind of said this to George, it was nice just to watch it and be like, oh, I have a Batman movie that I, a new Batman movie to like. Like I hadn't felt that way in a really long time. So that was kind of cool. Um, but for me, the problems with this movie kick off, like kicked off before it came out when they said the name was The Dark Knight Rises. I was like, why is this movie, The Dark Knight Rises? It's a terrible, like if you think of a franchise, why is the, the name of the third movie the same as the second movie with one more word? Or if you think of another franchise, why are we putting Rise in the disappointing third installments? Because mm. I... Oh, yeah, it's poison. Good call. I, I actually thought of the new Star Wars trilogy a lot while watching this one in terms of some of what some of my problems with it were also in terms of a kind of insularity that maybe we can get into later where everything gets tied up with maybe too neat of a bow and the yeah, world gets yeah. smaller rather than larger was something yeah. I, yes. I, I was thinking about quite a bit um, about some of the things that I was kind of like, uh, about. 
Yeah, no, that's a huge. There's a lot about this that doesn't work. I know that we we can jump into it, but I hate the opening. I think we're gonna have the, to fight the opening this. plane crash. It's so incoherent. What and I know were that they doing could, with his blood? Why did they have to do it on a plane? That's a good question. The reason that they they so I I, I rewatched so I watched this movie basically twice in the past five days because I, I had a lot of thoughts about it. They wanted it to seem as though he was dead, so they they transfused his blood into the a cadive cadive. It's ridiculous. That was it's the so fastest because tra- while I was watching, it, I was like, are they trying to like fake that these are each other? Because they could not do that that fast with what and like we were talking about that moment throughout the whole rest of the movie. We're like, wait, but. What is that? It's, what was it's, that? It's, well, and then he and then he breaks the guy's neck in a football field and like I don't know. Watch if I were in the stands, I'd be like, why did he break that guy's neck? This doesn't make any You're sense. You're overestimating the humanity of the common man, Liam. You have to understand <laughs> if you turn the city back to the people, it's just going to be show trials and exile executions. That's if only, by the way, my God. Like, <laughs> I just feel like, well, it's an interesting movie to watch in quarantine times, but the the first film or the second film, I guess, The Dark Knight, kind of used that opening to like create a mood and an atmosphere and a sense of where the story was going. And I feel like the, we this one opens like we don't know where we are. You later find out that we're probably in Uzbekistan because that's where they pick him up. You have like Littlefinger slash the guy from The Wire, like giving the worst performance of his career. It's like very confusing. Uh, you don't know which one Bane. It's just like, it's just really weird. And also there's that moment where that guy is like strapping to leave and, and Bane's like, no, there needs to be one of us in the wreckage, brother. And so we're supposed to be convinced that Bane is this like leader of men that can influence people to kill themselves like for the cause. But like the cause is never defined What's well, the which, League of Shadows, right? It's just like finishing the business from the first movie, which yeah. I think is disappointing um and i don't think it makes sense i think that one of the things that i do appreciate about this movie is that it and i think that this bloats the running time but i like that it i like that it calls back to the earlier films you know like one thing that i think really doesn't work about like you said batman begins is like i like that the dark knight like sort of gets rid of the quote-unquote mysticism that you have in batman begins with the kind of like well the orientalism but also like the like kind of like Ra's al Ghul mystery thing, which is really great in the animated series and in the comic book, but never quite worked in the movie. And I feel like they did a good job of not having very much of that in this movie in terms of the kind of like ho- hokey stuff that's in the first movie, like the really hokey stuff. So I appreciated like the all encompassing quality to this movie. And again, I really like it, but I think the movie should open with a really beautiful IMAX scene, the the opening should have been Talia escaping the Lazarus pit, which is the name of the prison. But we think it's Bane. So that when it actually flashbacks at the end of the movie and we find out that Miranda Tate is actually Talia al Ghul, it has emotional resonance. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I was sitting in the movie theater and I we find out, oh, she's Talia. I was like, yeah, of course she's Talia. We've all known that she was Talia the entire time. Like it, it just didn't. No, I'm sorry. How, how did you know that? That's she has bullshit. weird new agey speak from like her first line. Yeah. Yeah. Sean says there's tells. Sean claims that there's tells Huge throughout. tells. And also, it's just, if you know Batman, you know that's where it's going to go. Like, they have to do that. It, it's 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 not a bad choice, but I just felt like it was obvious from the it's second she showed up. It's a terrible choice. And also, watching it again, sorry, Nicole, watching it again, there were so many different moments where I was like, she should, like, 
okay, why doesn't she admit she's Talia now? Okay, wait, no, she could admit she's Talia now. What about now? And you have to wait till like the very last, like, it makes no fucking sense. Well, it I, no I think sense. it's a good choice. It's badly done. done. I think it's it's just the same dumb switcheroo from the first movie. It's like, oh, you think it's this one, but actually mm-hmm. the child of Fraz Uncle is this true. one. And it's like, but what does it really matter in terms of the stakes of the movie? It doesn't matter at all. And honestly... I, I mean, I, I Liam, I get what you're saying in terms of wanting to start the movie that way. Like, I do think that makes more sense structurally. Like, I'm a fan of the opening plane hijack, but that's just, as I like said before, because I think it's dumb fun, a la Fast and Furious. And I'm Which like, they need more, more of in these movies. Yeah, exactly. Because these movies are not fun. They're like very uh, overly self-serious. And so I was like happy to see that. That said, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really help set up Bane very well at all but i think that's a problem with the movie's whole conception of bane and the movie's conception of talia that they're plot conveniences that don't really make sense and when you uh find out like oh you know you were wrong bane isn't the one who escaped like even if we had seen a child escape at the beginning and thought that was bane i still don't think i would have cared when the reveal happens Mm. i still don't think it would have worked because he's not well defined in the larger sense of the story, also. And yeah. also, why it, it just felt like this, like, like why have a switch that parallels the switch in the first movie? Like, why do it other than to just do it? Like, it it feels more like, uh, you know, making the world smaller for no good reason other than to be like, hey, remember that other movie? This is kind of like that. So, so one last one thing before we get off, you know, Talia, Miranda, whatever. I think she's the real winner here. I think she ends up with a better ending than anyone in the series, including Bruce Wayne. Because remember, when she dies, she thinks that bomb is about to go off and she's going to get her big revenge. And she dies convinced that she's won and that Gotham Mm -hmm. is going to be destroyed. So, like, good on her. You know, she got to the end of her life as happy as she could possibly be. So, like, she's the winner of this whole series as far as... And, and we have to sit through and watch another 20 minutes of this. You're right. She dies, and the and we in the audience have to suffer another 20 minutes. I think to, to very quickly, to take, not issue, because I think that, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we've been talking about with this whole series is I think that one of the... The Tim Burton films are so good because they managed to straddle a line between us taking them seriously and also, like, we have a really good time. Nicholson's really funny. DeVito's incredible. Like there's 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 a sense of humor to it. And I do think that this film of the three might have the best actual sense of humor because I think, Nicole, somewhat to your point, I think Christian Bale is comfortable enough in the character in this one that he's able to make fun of himself. I think a really funny moment in the movie is after, and I give the movie credit for this, after Alfred quits, there's a scene where he wakes up and someone's at the door and he's like, Alfred? Alfred, like, I love that there's that moment where it's like a rich guy's like, I've never opened a door for anyone before. I don't know, like, where's my where's my manservant? But I also think that the, one of the best things about the movie in, in sort of a what you would consider like a kind of, um, what's the word, uh, kind of a, a, a casting against type is Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle. I think she's really funny in this movie. Like, I like what they do with her. I think she's honestly the best part of the movie, having rewatched it now. I, I 100% agree with that. I think um, the movie comes alive whenever she's on screen. I think she's really underrated in this film. And I think this film maybe came out during part of that weird, like, Anne Hathaway backlash thing that happened, yeah. where, like, 
people were kind of like, oh, Anne Hathaway for no fucking good reason. Because honestly, I think she's great. I think she's really talented. And um, I like her a lot in pretty much everything I've ever seen her in. And this is no exception. I think her take on Selena Kyle is really good. I buy her. I think maybe it has something to do with people's expectations of the characters and people, as you were saying, like the against type thing, people's expectations of Anne Hathaway and being like, oh, she's this kind of theater girl thing. Yeah. And she's like saintly and good. She's good. Yeah. She's not like sexy Michelle Pfeiffer who would blah. And I just, it just makes me tired to even think about it because I like, I buy her in that role. I don't think it's that, I don't think it's very well written. I think it's inherently appealing to me. Um, I think it's very thin and tropey as um, as it appears in the script, but I think she elevates it and imbues it with a full three-dimensional character, and I think that's probably the only time that happens with a female character in the entire trilogy. It might also be one of the only times it ever happens in a Christopher Nolan movie as well. And again, like I love Christopher Nolan movies. I think there's a little bit of... It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I feel like the Carrie Ann Moss character in Memento is pretty good, but it's been like a really, really long time. I think that's kind of another uh, situation where it's the same thing though, of I think that was Mm. another kind of like Christopher Nolan can write a femme fatale. Femme fatales are more interesting than the like super bland white bread, other female characters he manages to write. And Carrie Ann Moss is a really good actress who can bring, bring something uh, to that. But Honestly, watching this, I there were two movies that I periodically wished I was watching instead while watching <laughs> The Dark Knight Rises, one of which was Mad Max Fury Road, which we actually tried to watch as soon as we finished The Dark Knight Rises. And which fa- also has a blood transfusion in it, by the way. Also has a blood transfusion, also has Tom Hardy in a mask, has so many of the same elements, but is, to my mind, a much better movie. Unfortunately, not streaming for free right now. But the, the other one was Birds of Prey, which is a much Mm. more successful take on, you know, morally ambiguous female DC comic book characters, but letting them actually be full characters, like more than one at a time and not just be like the trope. I I recommend it. I think it's, I think it's um, the best DC movie I've seen since the dark Knight. Like Um, there was one other movie that came up while we were watching it. Uh, This is, you know, Nicole was saying, when Bane started doing his like leftist rhetoric to fool the people, uh, he she was like, "Oh, this is just Die Hard." Yeah, it's it is kind of Die Hard in more ways than one. The first one, the first Die Hard, the first Die Hard. Yeah, because uh, Hans Gruber's faking it. He's not really interested in the prisoners of war. He wants to have released, right? Oh, he that's just right. Wants okay. To, it's a distraction. Yeah, that's the whole th- and same thing here. Except I think Die Hard was a little clearer on what it was doing than I think this movie is. Because I think this movie is trying to comment on, or at least explore or something, play with I don't know, like political stuff of the day. Um, but I don't think it really has that much to say about any of it, and gets a little confused. Whereas uh, I think Die Hard was a little little clearer in its intentions. One of the things I wonder, and I, I think that actually this relates a little bit to some of the issues with the Anne Hathaway character, um, because one of my main sources of frustration with her, with her sort of with the with her character in the movie, is this idea of like she's 
you know, she has this speech that's now sort of infamous, the speech about like a storm coming and how like all these rich people need to batten down the hatches. But then it seems as though her character arc is to like observe this kind of like leftist revolution and be horrified by it. And I was just like, this doesn't, this doesn't play great. And there's, Um, I think there's two ways you can look at that. One is like, I mean, one, it's obviously not a leftist revolution, right? right? Bain is, Bain is capitalizing on existing class tensions in order to like gain power for his own like stupid very insular revenge plan that doesn't really have anything to do with anything other than like i am the protector of talia and this is what her dad wanted to do so this is what we're doing now and it, it has nothing to do with like the stated you know power to the people politics of it or anything like that so arguably she's just like well this is some bullshit that's the better way of looking at it but the other way is the more kind of centrist way which is where i feel like this film's political heart is which is just like oh well yeah the grass is greener but now that i see i i want no part of this and it's all very weird because the way the film portrays political violence it's not actually political violence it's just um you know this weird like very specific like revenge supervillain plot that has nothing to do with any sort of broader movement um just like grimes she quickly abandons any sort of punk street cred that she might have to hook up with the billionaire and and then, and then just leave every, leave for Italy at the very end. One thing watching these movies in succession is like, I f- and I think this might've been more true with one of the, I don't this, I don't think the politics in the movie are, are incredibly like insightful or smart, but I do like that everyone is kind of compromised in the movie. Like, I think that that's interesting for, for like from a Batman film noir perspective and that like, Gordon is, as, as Sean, as you pointed out, like Gordon is kind of taken down a peg because he's been lying for, for years about the Den thing. I think that's really interesting. I don't, I, I think, Nicole, I think you're right. I think that, unfor- like, it would be really cool if what Anne had, or what Selena Kyle witnessed was not, like, was not her seeing that, like, this leftist revolution was perverted, but actually it's more just that she's centrist. I think that that's, like, an unfortunate decision that the movie never really capitalizes on that in an interesting way but I do appreciate that like one thing I do like about the movie and I think again this might be a little bit of Christopher Nolan apologists is that I think that no one in the movie has has ultimately great intentions and I think that that's totally more more what about Blake or Batman yeah there's no complications with Bruce Bruce Wayne Wayne Wayne, yeah Bruce Wayne's death wish comes plays a big part in the roles like is he fighting Bane because he wants to save Gotham or because he wants to get his back broken and his neck broken and die but then ultimately he makes that choice and it's like no I want to rise and (laughs) you know so I think that that's a good point though because he's like a lot of one thing I noticed in rewatching this movie is a lot of the movie is people telling Bruce Wayne who he is like Talia al Ghul has or I guess she's Miranda Tate has the part where she's like you care more than you think you do and Blake is like you're angry you're pretending to be someone like I think it's it is kind of weirdly messy. I, again, it might resolve in a more traditional way, but I found it weirdly compelling this time to be like, everybody's telling this guy who he is. It's interesting to view him as kind of a blank slate, whether or not that's ultimately speaks to it. But I, I don't feel like anyone is really right. When I watch the movie, at least I'm like, oh, everyone in this movie is kind of compromised from from a certain point of view. And I think in one way, like from a film noir kind of perspective, setting it within that, that's appealing. But also a part of me is like, dude, it's like 2012. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Take a stand. Like, what yeah, do yeah. you have to say? If you're like throwing all this stuff into the stew, like how, how, like, what are you trying to do with it? And I feel like there's a lot of throwing stuff against the wall to signify, 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 but what to sit and, and it, um, I, I actually was wondering whatever, like, what do we think the politics of this film are? Like, what do we think this film is trying to say? Or is it being like, well, we're just throwing up our hands about how it's complicated and we're just reflecting like the harsh realities of how people don't get along so well. Like what, what, what do you all think? And you too, Sean. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, real quick, as far as having a bunch of signifiers, like it literally starts with a very direct, extraordinary rendition, which was a big Mm. political issue at the time. And also like you guys mentioned in your, in your dark Knight episode, you know, plays into that as well when he goes to Hong Kong to like, arrested dude but now it's now it's even more they have the hooded you know people shades of guantanamo or whatever and it it, and then it turns into you know the fast and the furious just watching it again i was like i was really horrified by it's like the especially like the what i saw like is it's a proto like blue lives matter kind of uh moment where matthew modine's character is like there's only one police in this city and just about how incredibly just yeah fucked up it is regarding any sort of sense of a um of what a populist let's say revolution might look like or the idea let's say that if you give let's say people power it is a either done uh for malicious ends uh for disingenuous political ends or that doing as such will result in absolute chaos i mean watching this i was like holy shit like this film's politics are even more fucked than the previous ones Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is the people aren't ever actually given the power, right? Like there's this there and and that it almost is interesting because it's like Bane lies and says, oh, one of you have the trigger to detonate the bomb. But of course, that's not true. It's pretty good Bane, though. Pretty good Bane. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I was a little nervous to bust it out, but then it was good. Not natural, but um. whatever i was saying um but obviously he didn't actually bane doesn't actually trust the people for shit bane doesn't actually care about like the people don't actually get gotham like um he he's a warlord holding a nuclear weapon over everybody's head it has nothing to do with any sort of direct democracy but i don't know if christopher nolan knows that like a question i had re-watching this trilogy and just kind of thinking about the history of at least United States cinema is we have so few depictions of any sort of leftist organizing. And I think part of that is a kind of incuriosity. I think part of that is bad politics. I think another part of it is ignorance of we have all these filmmakers who want to have important things to say, who I think don't actually know how political change comes about. I think they don't know what organizing is. Um, I think we've had over a hundred years of pop cultural propaganda designed to obfuscate the history of leftist organizing in the United States. And looking at the Dark Knight trilogy is kind of an interesting little uh, microcosm of how that all pans out. Because at a certain level, like no offense, I'm really not trying to be super rude, but I think these movies are just <laughs> dumb on a a certain level. I feel like they're bringing in all these politics and have no idea how to analyze any of it or what to do with it. And it's kind of like 
the we didn't start the fire of like superhero films where it's just like occupy and bane is um turning back gotham to the citizens and show trials exiles communist (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i so i was i I think about i've been thinking about this a little bit there's this quote from scott tobias's review of this movie um which he gave it a he gave it an a minus and he said um there's a the quote is there's a catch-all quality to the politics of it the occupy movement could be viewed here as a unifying force or order upending menace you know i I, I sort of I, I think my caveat to it being a any kind of critique of Occupy is is that it isn't really from we know from the beginning that Bane's full of shit and he's not giving power to the people. So I've never read it that way. I also think it's like interesting that like when I watch it, I don't look at the Matthew Modine character as anything but like an opportunistic piece of shit. Like he he's sort of like Ian. Like I feel like with sorry Sean. I said he's a tool. I agree. He's a total tool. And I feel like with the exception of um, Gordon and Blake in the movie, most of the cops just seem very self-concerned with their own careers and stuff like that. So it it, it, it complicates kind of... I'm going to jump in for one, one second with that, which is one thing that bugged me about this film is one of the big themes of The Dark Knight, uh, the second one is that the entire police department is mired in corruption, Right. right. And you see that they'll go so far as to like kidnap, you know, I don't know, they kidnap Gordon or his, you know, whatever, his uh, Harvey Dent's girlfriend or Harvey Dent or what I don't remember who they kidnap. They kidnap somebody important um, because all the police are corrupt and compromised. And that totally vanishes in this film. It's like it didn't happen. Um, and I thought um, that was notable and that the big turning point in the film and when things are finally starting to turn for the good guys is when the cops show back up. And I think that that's the you know, army. notable. You have an army of cops who are totally prepared for that. You know how the N- NYPD yeah. rolls. Mm-hmm. They also look pretty clean for having lived in their uniforms for three months. Yeah, that part, that is... Well, so this is, this is interesting for a couple of things. I think that... Um, uh, one thing that is interesting is the idea, one of the things that I think is interesting about the movie, and again, I kind of agree, like, Nicole, with you, the idea of, like, this movie doesn't necessarily take a stand, but I also sort of, I sort of like it as, like, a as like a, as the review says, as, like, a Rorschach test where we watch it and we kind of go, like, what is our interpretation of it? Like, I think that that's something that, that, that a comic book movie can do in kind of an interesting way. I could sort of see how it might be a little bit cowardly. And I, and listen, I'm as much as I love his movies, I'm, I'm not going to be like, yeah, Christopher Nolan's a real progressive guy. Like, of course not. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not really even that interesting to me to, to whether that is important or not. But I think that one thing I like about it is I, as a, as a film was, I'm able to watch it and go like, okay, all of these people, like I'm sort of, I'm sort of not sure what to think of. I, I think that these cops are idiots. I think that this, false populist is a piece of shit like i'm sort of all over the place which again might be problematic because then who do we turn to we turn to the sort of millionaire fascist that can beat the shit out of all these people right which is like what ultimately batman's about but and it's got you know the i it had a little bit of this feel um and before i criticize again i want to say like yeah like i kind of like this movie i agree like as a rorschach test as a kind of batman of that moment i'm not sorry to have it like it's more interesting Mm -hmm. to me to watch um and i mean the a lot of the issues i have with these films are issues that are inherent within the batman story 
period, just in terms of like these conceptions of criminality, for example, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, crime as being the bad guy, etc. Um, but what the hell was the point I was about to make about... Um, well, let me ask a quick... So, Sean, to come back to your point, maybe this will spur it. Do you think that part of the reason... One of the things that I interpret the lack of corruption in the police force is this idea that the quote-unquote Dent Act has, like, really reformed the police and, like, everything's great and, like, and we figured it all out and, like, the right people are in jail. And I think that one of the things that is interesting about the movie is, the like, the tension of, like, yep, this is... This this worked totally. This is great. Like we've really we've really turned our city around, and the entire thing is based on some like real bullshit, which I think is an actually pretty compelling thing that the movie does. Where it's like, yeah, these like quote unquote Rico acts that that take down huge swaths of people are usually based upon garbage. Like I think that I thought that that was pretty compelling actually, and and it didn't really resonate with me the first couple the first time I saw it. Watching it this time, I was like, oh wow, that's more interesting than I remember it being. I half like it, but I also feel like it plays into this false dichotomy of like, do we give people civil rights or do we get the job done? Which is Mm. a false dichotomy that a lot of stuff, you know, this is the same problem I have with Zero Dark Thirty because it portrays an act of torture that didn't really happen in real life, uh, leading to information that was useful. And one of the things that was so important back then is like there was this false uh, thing there, there's this false idea that like oh torture may be unsavory but maybe it's what we got to do to get the results we need to keep us right. safe when really the fact was like when you torture people they'll say what the fuck ever and it led to you know virtually no useful intelligence and so when you have this big film that you know you can say whatever you want about liberties filmmakers are allowed to take people are going to look to that film as some sort of historical record from which they're going to learn about that moment and they're going to learn an important untrue thing and I feel that mm-hmm. the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are kind of similar. Like I had a question about the opening plane hijacking thing. It's in my uh, like crazy Zodiac killer, like chicken scribble notes um, that are hard Zodiac to read. Zodiac is better than this film, by the way. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's an amazing m- masterpiece. Where I'm like, what are we supposed to think about these CIA guys? Are they supposed to be cool? Are they supposed to be terrible? I know how I'm viewing them through That's my lens. But yeah. are people watching this and be like, what a badass. Yeah, he's holding a gun against his head, holding him out the plane, and, you know, you're going to get the information, and et cetera. Like, I don't, and I don't know if these films even know where they come down on any of this. Yeah. Like, at all. And 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 I, yeah. I, I will say that, you know, Nicole and I had a bit of a talk about dense uh, written but not delivered speech which I did we had not, a whole debate we about had a whole it. debate about it. I at first did not believe that he would write and plan to deliver that speech that would torpedo everything he'd yeah. worked for for the past eight years, and you know, set up raise public sympathy for people he views as terrible criminals who are locked up and it have all kinds of who knows what spillover effects, uh, but. You know, we talked about it for a while and Nicole pointed out, you know, we kind of went through it. It was like, he's at a terrible point. He knows this thing is built on a lie. He's lost his family. Um, You know, how would you feel destroyed? So why wouldn't he do something super self-destructive since he knows he's being pushed out? 
And he's in a self-destructive place, much like Bruce Wayne. They've got these kind of parallel tracks in a way in this film as well. Um, not to get away from the politics, though, of it and the like the weird like post-Patriot Act analog we have here in the Dent Act, which um, I just I, 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 I was just a little troubled by this whole setup of like it was built on a lie. And also it was what was necessary to clean up Gotham. And then at a certain point, I'm like, well, why am I even watching a movie where the stakes are about do we clean up Gotham or not, which is not a question that, you know, mm. resonates for me in the real world. Right. And like, that's one of the problems with the whole Batman character and franchise is the idea of it's Batman like, versus crime. What is crime? Who are the criminals? Talking about it now, too, like, I think these films would have been way more interesting, actually, if they leaned into that even more, right, to show, let's say, how problematic it is or how, let's say, self-destructive it is to turn into, um, like, the people that feel like you need to, let's say, again, um, serve, like, civil liberties or, like, do really heinous evil shit to, like, quote-unquote, like, catch the bad guys. Like, I feel like what the film does that makes it even more problematic, right? Because, like, it has its cake and eats it, too, where it does, like, a little bit of that and says, like, oh, yeah, this is really fucked up. And the the the, um, the Dark Knight in this one does it as well, where, again, it shows these moments of, like, fascist leanings and there's some commentary about this is really bad, we shouldn't be doing this, but also it's kind of necessary. And then it just, everything kind of, like, magically resolves itself and those issues aren't really addressed. Like, it would be far more interesting if, like, James, there was more of James Gordon having to deal with the fallout of those kind of issues or Batman himself having to deal with the fallout of those issues. I don't feel like the, um, those kind of moral complex issues really echo well, throughout. I, f- I feel like, to some extent, I agree. But I think on another level, one of the things that they have to deal with in terms of fallout, and again, like, I think there is a a sort of uh, an important distinction, whether it's, I think it's important to think about like what the stories of the movie are versus what they're attempting to say. And I do think that like the fallout that they're dealing with is Gordon is living with this lie that's like clearly ruining his life and Bruce Wayne's life, like Bruce, I mean, Bruce Wayne's life is fine, but like he's vanished from a public life. He's kind of just like a destroyed shell of a human being. Like, I think that one of the things that I give the movie credit for is making the decision in a, in a, in a superhero franchise to make the events of the previous film play such an important role and how things resolve in the new film. Like it, it feels very, very, if not perfectly executed and in some ways quite clumsily executed, it feels I, f- I actually do feel like this movie does a good job of m- delivering on the consequences of actions that people have taken in previous incarnations of the story. Where I do feel like it falls apart is the wish fulfillment at the end of the movie where everyone gets what they want. I really dislike Alfred going to Florence, even if that sequence is in his mind and like seeing, like, I don't love that stuff. I hate the Batman statue. I hate the Batman statue. Yeah, Batman but statue's fucking terrible. What so Sean was st- like, haven't they learned anything about like building up these figures into like. I know. Well, that's really where the movie becomes ultimately problem. Like, not, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can argue are problematic, but like, one of the things that the movie has the opportunity to do is sort of like downplay the importance of Batman. And so to show this statue at the end where it's like, it's all that guy. It's like, talk about American exceptionalism garbage. It's like, Oh, it's that guy, that guy, that one guy, that one guy saved us. Like 
It's just so stupid. It's funny because that kind of mirrors something I was talking to Sean about earlier when we were talking about the film and I was ranting about how filmmakers don't like to make movies about movements. They like to make movies about charismatic leaders, about figureheads. And like we have this idea that like civil rights happened because Rosa Parks and MLK and like that's it. Rosa Parks didn't want to sit at the back of the bus. And it's like, no, that was a part organizing its work. You know, one of the things that was so refreshing about sorry to bother you is that finally there was a film made by somebody who understands what fucking organizing yeah. is, which almost nobody else does. And so it, it's kind of fitting that it would, that it's like, even in this film that's trying to problematize the myth of Batman and the concept of Batman and Batman as like this singular force and how that can go rotten very quickly, it still ends that way, you know, yeah. as being about like this one figurehead. And I, I don't know if Christopher Nolan has the imagination to think beyond that or if most people uh, going to these films do either or want that or if we can even imagine anything outside of that. Well, and also, I suppose, to some extent, what are the limits of like, I'm not saying that he was like, guys, I'm really going to I'm really going to problematize Batman. But like, what are the limits of how far he can go with some of those things in terms of it being this like massive blockbuster product? Like, does the movie succeed in like getting anywhere with thought? Pro- I mean, I think it's probably more thought provoking than than some big blockbusters in a lot of ways. But like, is that enough? How far does it go? And I, I think also just to like re- when reading about some of the influences on this on the trilogy, a movie that came up a lot was Battle of Algiers, I think, which like is such a, such a good. We, I think you can kind of see it in terms of the war stuff, which is such a great movie. But I feel like as is not untypical of filmmakers, it's like how much of the filmmakers, and this isn't actually, this is not specifically about Christopher Nolan at all, but like filmmakers reference that film all the time, but how many of them have actually read anything about the history and what's going on in that story and like the complexities and what led to that film. Whereas like Ponte Corvo was like living in that world and knew what it was like. And like, so I feel like when you talk about political films, it's like how much time are the filmmakers investing in like what the, f- what the films are actually about versus their like style and, and the way, as opposed to their substance. Like that's something I think a lot about with these movies too, because they, they clearly reference great political films, but how deeply invested in the politics of those films are they? Not so very. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think, think they are. As a, as a complete aside, I would just like to say that the the moment that really gets the film rolling is total uh, sort of really discredited Gordon for me, even more than the Dentac stuff, which is when he follows Bane down into the sewer by himself. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, why would the chief of police go by himself with a gun shouldn't he be doing his job and supervising stuff and if he'd actually done his job instead of trying to be a cowboy they never would have gotten the speech and never would have had his inciting thing to like get his plan and things would have been a lot safer do you think that's a story problem or do you think that that's just like what they were trying to do with the character that's a good question and it was only as i was saying it that i was like oh maybe this was intentional to show that you know gordon's a cowboy yeah and he's self-destructive he's he's you know he's got nothing to lose yeah i think that maybe part of it is, is is it comes down to intention like i'm pretty I think that a lot of these choices are very intentional and I, you know, I don't want to be like, Oh, it's all perfectly realized. Cause like there's a lot with this movie that doesn't work, but 
I feel as though it's pretty intentional. I think Gordon works better than most things in this movie. I feel like I kind of buy where he's at every beat. Like, I think it makes sense. Um, whether or not it makes him, you know, a good cop is a different question. Right. But what, and what a good cop is, is yet another question. But um, mm. we won't go there right now. But um, we, we haven't talked that much about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, although he's come up a bit. And I do have to say, I really like him in this movie and wish, wish we could have seen what happened after. Like, it is very satisfying when he's like, fuck this shit at the end. Um, I don't think it's a like strong political stance Nolan's taking, but it is just satisfying to watch as a viewer to see him be like, yeah, no, this isn't how I'm going to affect change of any sort. And then go on to be Robin or Batman or whatever the hell it is he does after that. Yeah. One of the things I find so satisfying is him being like, I don't want to be a fucking cop anymore. Like, I think that that's again, like kind of perverts or sort of complicates the way we're relating to the law and order. It's a very law and order heavy movie. But I like that at the end of it, he's like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, the, the, the fact that he might become like a masked vigilante who beats up mentally ill people is a different story. But again, I think it's all very intentional. And I think George disagrees with me. Uh, yeah, I definitely do. Um, well, I mean, I think it's interesting also to think about his character almost like he's so good of it. Like he still kind of remains a cop. Like he's so pure. Um, such a pure cop that like the the police, um, the uh, Gotham PD like isn't good enough for him. I don't know. There's just like a certain sense like, yes, it's a rejection of it. But it also to me seems like it's just kind of not a rejection, let's say, of being a um, like a cop, but of being a certain kind of cop or belonging to a certain kind of specific system of cop. So again, like the pursuit of justice kind of like just transforms into something else. It's not, I think, like a complete rejection of what makes it like automatically problematic to be a cop and also you spend two hours and 45 fucking minutes with a character that's been a cop why is it so difficult to imagine that somebody else another let's say member of our society can some sort of way transform themselves into this hero like why does it have to be a cop yeah actually what you just said george reminded me of the thing (laughs) that i forgot that earlier when i was like what Ah, i forgot my other point which was, I think, I feel like there's this, and again, not, this was the thing where I was like, not to be rude, but I feel like there's this uh, kind of very adolescent, pseudo nihilistic kind of streak running through these films that feels very immature to me, but at some places manifests in ways that are like of interest to me. For example, in that character, you know, because at the end, I read his, like, I can't be a cop as not being like, well, now I understand that actually, like, the police were formed to round up enslaved people who had escaped. And that's, you know, the whole, maybe this isn't an institution that we should, you know, that's not where his critique is coming from. His critique is coming from this more knee-jerk, like, I don't want to follow orders. These dudes were following orders and they blew up the bridge and we could have escaped. And they didn't listen and they didn't do what was right. They just did what they were told. And I can't be another one of these sheep doing what I'm, what I'm told. But I think his issues with the police start earlier after Gordon, after he finds out that Gordon's been full of shit. I think he basically says like, this has been like, I think, I think, I think you're right. But I also think that just for, to play a devil's advocate, I do think earlier in the film, he's a little bit like, I don't want any part of this if this is what this is going to be. But that also goes back to like thinking about it, like in relationship to Bruce Wayne, that goes back to like certain discussions we've had about how like these films, for example, can envision 
let's say, a version of the character that isn't the billionaire playboy. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no version of Batman that we get that in any sort of way is like, how can we reimagine this character in such a way that, let's say, I don't know, he gives away his entire fortune and he lives like a regular human being, but yet he's still also able to be some kind of vigilante. Like, it's not outside of the realm of possibility to imagine, let's say, that kind of reconstruction of the character. But it's not done because there's no political imagination around these characters. And as you said, I feel like this series really wants to, like, have its cake and eat it, too. It wants to be like, oh, we're going to problematize it. But it also wants to have the, like, sweet, oh, and here's where Morgan Freeman shows you a bunch of cool war toys. And everybody watching is supposed to be like, oh, man, I wish I had access to all of that paramilitary gear. And it so it's yeah. kind of like, <laughs> wish for, you know, and it's it wants to have it both ways. So just to, at the risk of being, maybe this is outside the, the sort of the, what we're talking about here, but one thing that I find irritating about the movie is the, like, the whole, like, you're sad because you couldn't bring your environmental project to fruition element. Like, I find that a little bit annoying, but I also don't think, you know, and again, George, maybe this speaks to your point that you're ever going to get a Batman movie where they're sitting around there like, what if, what if he gives up his fortune? Like, what if he did, like, I just don't see that being a, like, and one of the reasons, like, maybe I'm giving the movie the benefit of the doubt, but something that I, that I, is I do think that maybe this film, this is maybe as far as this franchise is going to go in, or this like larger conglomerate is going to go in terms of problematizing Batman. And one thing that I like about it is like, it does feel, I think, Nicole, to your point, like the appropriate post 9-11 Batman. It doesn't go as far as it could, but I do ultimately think that like, it asks some questions that have never been asked of the character before in such stark terms. Now, whether or not, ultimately, I think it, it ends up being like, it not really going there as much as it would. But I, I do, I guess I do appreciate that at least it goes where it does go. Um, and you're never going to get an, a Batman film that's not like a, pretty obsessed with law and order and like kind of the being on the side of, of, of sort of the cops for what, for what it's worth. But, but why can't we have that though? Is the question like, why can't yeah. you turn that inside out? Yeah. I mean, that's the point, right? Like there've been so many different iterations of this character. We had so many movies. Why can't there be a version that is just highly deconstructive or does something radically different, but still in some sort of way, let's say re- retains um, some sort of fidelity to its, crime fighting ethos like you could do it there's just no political imagination that's why people keep remaking the same fucking movies over and over and over again to begin with or what if we even what if we had a batman movie where we questioned it being batman's war on crime and instead became a war against like people hurting other people and having it like is it crime or not like you know not being the dividing line because like this movie is afraid to go to the place of saying like well what gets defined as crime and what doesn't yeah, and I think that that's a problem with the the first one does it a little bit, but is very unsuccessful ultimately in how it achieves it. But yeah, it's like there are criminals and there are cops, and that's it. And so I think we that want that's... to put Batman in charge of the SEC. Is that what, uh, is that what we're saying? I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, Batman climbed out of that hole without like any help from any of his like special military grade weapons and things like that. Right? Like we can have this character without the privileges of the stuff his money can buy. And he's still an exceptional human being in certain ways who could be a superhero out fighting crime 
without having to be a billionaire. Maybe he gives up his money. Maybe his money is taken from him. Maybe he's just on the run and doesn't have access to it or whatever. Maybe that leads to some sort of uh, reckoning with his place in the world, cutting into things from a different angle than what we've seen so far. Because I feel like this is kind of like Tim Burton was starting on pretty much everything Christopher Nolan does here yeah. in terms of the Batman Bruce Wayne characters. Christopher Nolan goes into a lot more depth. Ultimately, I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness because I kind of, I don't know if I'm that interested in that. Um, I, I kind of prefer the Tim Burton take. I mean, that's a matter of taste in part. I'm not saying that's like objectively right or anything, but you know, I just, I'm like, is it that interesting to like, take this deep dive into this character within these strict parameters of how we've seen him portrayed over and over and over again. I mean, I love Christopher Nolan movies. I love these movies. They, they like, they really, they do it for me, but I do think the over literalization of the character that, that is presented in these movies ultimately has made superhero movies a little less imaginative and a little more monochromatic as much as I am into these movies. Like, I feel like they should have made this one and then been like, let's stop here and like take 10 years off. And I do think that Tim Burton's more idiosyncratic take on the character is ultimately a lot more compelling. What you just said made me, there's a moment in this movie where right after Bruce Wayne gets out of the Lazarus pit, did you guys notice this? He kicks the rope in. Yeah. And I think yeah. the idea is that he, the so that everybody can get out, right? Is that what's... Because the rope is Correct. still attached that to the was top. How I That's read a it. nice idea. Yeah. Because yeah. I had an argument with someone that were like, no, he does that so that uh, no one else can get out. And I was like, that's not what's going on there. He's kicking the rope so other people can escape, which I thought was like... Right. I don't know. I was sort of surprised. I was kind of like, whoa. And I it made me think like, why does he do that? What is the choice? Why Why ultimately does he do that? Because I think that one thing that would be interesting about the movies is that if in, instead of in Batman Begins, we see him at the end of his sort of like journey in the Far East, quote unquote, we see him actually go through that experience and become a more compelling... Like I, I would like... I would like to I would like the movie to explore more moments like where he kicks the rope into the Lazarus pit because I think it it adds interesting shades to the character. I don't know if you guys felt that way, but I was like, oh, he clearly wants all of these people to escape. That's interesting. I think it would be like the movie taking a stand, like a like right. pro liberation of prisoners even if they're against the liberation of prisoners in Gotham, which is another interesting moment we could talk about. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen that and I think maybe Christopher Nolan would have done well to like um, take another second. Yeah, like literally one more second. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to like just to punch on it, you know, and make people get it. Because I like that moment a lot. I think it's a it's a it's an interesting kind of like whoa, I didn't expect that to happen kind of thing. Um, do you guys want to talk about Bruce Wayne? Because I think Bruce has a really interesting arc, and everyone's telling him who he is. And there's this moment where uh, Michael Caine says something like, the city doesn't need your body, it needs Bruce Wayne, like it needs your intelligence. And I think that like, I really like that because I, I do think these movies are largely very successful with how they deal with the soul of Bruce Wayne a little bit, whether like we like where it goes. I think ultimately it leads to this billionaire savior complex thing that I find like, I hate, I'm sorry, I hate, and I hate this in Black Panther too. I hate at the end of the movies where it's like, and I made a nonprofit for kids. Like I really don't <laughs> like the decision to give all the kids nonprofits. But like, I do think that, 
this film, even I even found the Alfred and Bruce stuff really moving. Like, how did you guys feel about it this time? I did, yeah. I loved the Alfred and Bruce stuff in this. I loved Alfred going front and center as Bruce's like surrogate father slash real father all along. Um, I thought that was great and super moving. And I love that he intentionally torpedoed his relationship with Bruce in order to attempt to save Bruce's life. Uh, He failed in that Bruce continued to fight as Batman or whatever. But I, I really loved that. I thought that uh, Michael Caine was great in those moments that I thought that like, him as you know the real father you thought you were missing was was awesome yeah i really wanted to see the like um steve coogan rob Ryden like uh ver like uh bruce wayne and like alfred like a uh, trip to italy kind of thing where they're just like chilling they just in made italy a new one just... so maybe they do it in that one they go to greece i can't oh, wait yeah. yeah no i like the alfred and bruce stuff in this yeah it was kind of touching although a lot of it is also really like heavy hand like Alfred, when he's often on the screen, is just kind of delivering a lot of like exposition. Like, hey, remember when you lost your girlfriend? Did they want him to get an Oscar for this movie? It feels like Christopher Nolan was like, let's get Michael Caine an Oscar for a Batman movie. Because every 15 minutes for the first hour, he's like, I don't want to bury another Wayne. And like, he's like very upset the entire time. But I did find it very moving, I have to say. Yeah, I think Michael Caine's a champ in these films. I think he's fucking fantastic. I do... The, the whole set... I mean, and it's not even a critique of this film particularly. The whole setup rubs me the wrong way a bit. The, like, doting, loyal servant family yeah. member thing is, uh, rubs me the wrong way to a degree. But that has nothing to do with Michael Caine or even the particular depiction in this film. It would have to... You know, a filmmaker would have to deconstruct that or problematize that for me to be like feeling great um and it's not like any other batman film is doing that that i'm aware of so i can't really knock this one yeah. does not happen now in i want to see like League. A, i want to see like a two-hour like merchant ivory production just told entirely from the, the point of view of Alfred. you know there's that new like, show the there's day. a show called pennyworth which is about alfred's family is mm-hmm. there Oh, his family. Well, his family they're like secret agents it's like james bond shit it's like james bond oh, shit yeah no i i mean like in the mansion about how depressed he is about how lonely and isolated he is and how i used to take care of this asshole billionaire who dresses up like a bat and beats the shit out of people it's like what if i, I don't think it's one life? of the strongest things in the movie is their relationship and i think bale rarely gets a chance to really i mean he's really good in the movies but like Bale in these movies in particular is very stoic and I think he's quite touching in the scene where he tells Alfred to leave like I think it's all it's all very good yeah yeah I think he gets to yeah I feel like he gets to stretch in this one a little bit more like between the stuff with Alfred I also think in his scenes with Anne Hathaway he gets to come alive in a different way than um he does any other time that like she brings out something in him and he gets to play different things that are nice to see Nicole did not like the the 70s, like, oh, he kisses the girl and then they're lying on the bearskin rug together. Oh my God, it's so bad. That scene is so bad. From like (laughs) the second Alfred leaves. So this is actually something that's interesting. I don't think the first, really, I think the first hour. and, and Okay, so I think that this movie should open with the Talia escaping the Lazarus pit and then we should immediately cut to the football game. So that like... And then maybe we flash back a little bit, like a la Batman Begins structure, because I think that, you know, again, I think that the whole idea of the way that that last hour is constructed from the football game until the bomb explodes, like, it's so 
it's so Nolan-y and that like you don't, the time is really confusing. You don't know what's going on, but it's like this sustained montage that I think is so well done. Like if, I feel like months pass in cuts in that thing. And like, it's just kind of like this really, I find it to be like some of the most compelling filmmaking he's ever done. I, I don't a hundred percent know if it works because we've had this lumbering introduction to it. But if the movie had the guts to just bring us to the football field and that's where it starts. And then we get information, we, we can jettison the Ben Mendelsohn's a great actor, but we can jettison all the Daggett stuff that has nothing to do with the movie. Ultimately, I think, I think it's a great movie. I think it's like a taut, hundred minute movie and it's unfortunately a three hour epic but those that last hour is really 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 well done i also would have honestly liked to have seen in the montage um in the last hour i would have liked to see some of those moments play out into full scenes i would have liked to have seen especially like because it's like okay bane takes over the quote-unquote people's uprising whatever is happening in gotham and i'm like i i want to see how this has actually been working for these three months like aside from like we get one scene of like rich people getting thrown out of their apartments and we see a bit of the show trials and like the ice exiles and all but that's it and i'm like what's happening how are people getting food how are people like right now (laughs) like you're very like oh well, there is that there is that one brief um, exchange on the bridge, right, where they say like Bane's emissary says to like the army guy, like, "Oh, we're only negotiating for like supplies and stuff." Like, it, it doesn't explain everything for sure. But it doesn't but... explain anything about how and who to whom those supplies are being dispersed. Like, are they going door to door to all those people who are just yeah. like, yeah. like, like, because all the you get the idea that all these people are just staying the fuck inside and not going out at all, like. Are they getting supplies? Who exactly is participating in what? I I feel like it's all this big mishmash and part of it is because maybe Christopher Nolan doesn't know or care, but I'm like, I I care. You know, this is what I want to see. I want to see the mechanisms of this new organization of Gotham. Like that's the most interesting thing going on. No, I think it is one of the most interesting things that's unexplored. Does it it also explain the stupidity of why they don't just blow up the bomb like right away it's a nuclear other than it's a nuclear bomb you can't blow up nuclear so, gonna, nuclear bombs gonna blow why don't they just detonate it immediately oh yeah. you mean bane's guys bane yeah oh, okay um, i i agree it was just this dumb and they're like no we will set it off three seconds before it would have gone off anyway and you're like but but why yeah, like I'm, I'm like other than obviously for the convenience of the plot. I'm just like, why the fuck don't they? Just Again, this could be something that off? they say in the movie that just gets buried by the amount of shit going on in the movie. I don't remember them specific, but it's something to think about. I don't know. But also, like, it, it just gets back to my kind of meta question of like, what it how how it feels like the rise of Skywalker to me, and how it just feels so disappointing to me in so many ways that this is just like Batman Begins Part Two at the end of the day, and the whole reason Bane is doing everything he's doing is just because of a personal relationship with this one person who surprise is Ra's al Ghul's daughter. And that's the whole reason he's, (laughs) Oh God, sorry, sorry. Spoilers. 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 Um, And that's, and that's the whole reason why any of this is happening. All of the politics, none of it has anything to do with anything. And it's so weird to me to keep bringing that up. And it, it just, Hmm. That I just find that really disappointing and it feels very hollow. And it's part of why ultimately I'm like, I don't care. This is just like a dumb, you know, over the top supervillain plot that doesn't actually because like what these movies seem to ultimately be saying is 
free market, quote unquote, free market capitalism is great. Billionaires can totally save us and are saving us every day. It's just for guys. No, but not nonprofits. Not well, NGOs. nonprofits, but by What's by billionaires, billionaire, billionaire foundations. Bill, uh, um, except when they're developing that? green energy, nuclear war uh, weapons. But like, it, ultimately, they're acting as if it seems like the point of view of these films is that when capitalism fails, it's because a shadowy network of pseudo leftists is pulling the strings and forcing it to fail. Like that's ultimately seems to be the political message of these films. And that's, a, that's just terrible. Yeah. Well, and, and again, sorry, I already said this, but you have three months in which there's no reason why Talia would not let it be known like explicitly like who she was you know what i mean like somebody else would have like figured out like she'd be like all right we got everything we want batman's gone we've taken over the city like i'm just gonna start acting like the person that i am there's no fucking reason that it makes any sort of sense that she would be in hiding she's she's sitting in a shitty conference room with people she doesn't like yeah (laughs) pretending to be scared of her like protector dad or whatever but why like yeah no i agree yeah. with george like yeah. why other than the convenience of to be like oh and here's the big reveal at this point in the script like wh- yeah like once ba- once bruce Wayne comes back into town morgan freeman's character like you would not believe who tate really is it'd be like what you're like they would you would find that out or like everybody but would I, know I think already. again these a lot of these problems are just because the movie isn't fleet enough and if they'd like reconsidered some like serious holes in terms yeah. of like how the story is being told if they made an entirely different movie but i think but i think that i think <laughs> the scenes are there i don't think you're wrong but i think that again maybe i'm watching the movie in my mind that i want to watch but i will say this this thing is a masterpiece compared to the rise of skywalker i'm sorry i'm sorry yes disagree no i i I don't agree i actually think it oh no i i think it's comparable in a lot of ways to the rise of skywalker i quit i quit the i quit the podcast am i am i fired (laughs) nicole and sean you run this podcast now for our next season we're gonna do the oeuvre of green lantern oh my god (laughs) and with that should we wrap up yeah, George. Good. Any final? Any thoughts? final thoughts? You wanna you wanna say first uh, final thoughts? Why? Because you're no. no. I'm trying to buy some time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you for inviting us. Uh, I had a great time. The, thank you for coming. It was fun. It was actually for all our criticisms. Like I did have fun rewatching all three of these movies and uh, having an excuse to think about them and talk about them. And, uh, yeah, uh, I guess all I can really say is go Batman. Go Batman. <laughs> go um, Batman. All right, George, take us out. Uh, I was George Fragopoulos. It doesn't matter who we were. I'm sorry. I'm Liam Billingham. I was Liam Billingham. I, I was Nicole Solomon. I was Sean Caparo. <laughs> and this was... Oeuvre Buster. <laughs> Once again, nail.